Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. All right, um, we're going to go to the, the third week, yeah, the third week of the gospel uh, demonstrated and um, it's pretty clear, you know, the title speaks for itself. You know, we want to encourage you as followers of Jesus to not just, you know, study the Bible, um, preach the gospel verbally, but also how do we demonstrate it with our actions? How do we demonstrate it in, you know, uh, we, we've got to show it and uh, to, to be able to communicate the gospel as well. And so uh, I am sharing the message on, my title for the message is No Partiality in the Kingdom, Okay. No partiality in the kingdom. And I'm going to read a scripture in James, and we, it's in James 2, 1 to 7. And so can I encourage you all to read it? Oh, sorry, it's real tiny, yeah, the words. But just follow me as I read it. Um, I want us all to participate in this. Can we do that, church, this morning? Yeah? Okay. So it says, my brothers. So just repeat after me. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who call, sorry, the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for your word uh, about partiality. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord. Help us to apply your word. Help us to uh, really live out what you've called us to be and to do, Lord God. I thank you for your presence this morning, Holy Spirit. Teach us, speak to us, uh, encourage us this morning, I pray. And we all say... Amen. Amen. So just a quick background story. So James is the half-brother. So the, the book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus, which is, you know, James, leader of the Jerusalem church. Uh, it is a letter written for Jewish Christian house churches who have been dispersed outside, the, outside of Palestine due to persecution and poverty. So from reading this letter, it's pretty clear that James is writing about how we respond to challenges in life and how we uh, you know, if we call ourselves Christians, then we should, uh, then we should, you know, do what we confess, right? We should live it out. Hence, the letter starts with, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, James clearly writes not to be double-minded and don't just hear God's words, but actually do what it says. The Jewish churches were facing persecution from the rich people. You know, sometimes we go through um, hard times in life, and, and sometimes it gets the best of us, right? 
some of them have adopted the world's attitudes, and it's obviously seeped into the church. We live in a world today where we judge people based on their outward appearances or their outward circumstances. You know, we favor people based on what they wear or what kind of job they um, work at or what church they go to or their nationality or are they rich or are they poor or are they middle class or what kind of accent do they, um, you know, speak in their height or their size or their social status or are they a pastor or what kind of reputation do they hold? What kind of car do they drive or, what, or, or, they, or do they have a big house? Or what's their position in life? You know, especially me being, being uh, Chinese, being Asian, you know, um, in my culture, we look at, are you rich, you know? Do you have a big house or do you have a big car? You see, in this kind of thinking seeped into the church in James's time because they were suffering through persecution and poverty, you know, it caused them to become partial, especially against the poor that were coming into the church. My question to us today and this morning, how are we like when we face persecution from people you know, maybe it's your family member, maybe it's from your workplace. How are we like? Do we act like the world? Do we conform to the world when we're faced with persecution? We shy back, we shrink back because we don't want to feel ashamed of being a follower of Jesus. So we try to act like the world. We try to, you know, talk like the world. And so my, that's my question to you. Are we, are we, are we afraid to, be, to walk like Christ and to really shine and to be like Christ? Or are we going to follow the patterns of this world? Are we now trying to please man or are we trying to please God? In James 2, uh, verse 1, it says, uh, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I can assure you, God has no partiality at all in his character. In fact, the meaning of partiality means unfair bias in favor of one person or thing, it's to do with showing favoritism. In the Bible, it's the Greek word, and it means, uh, the Greek word, it means prosopolepsia. I think that's how I pronounced it, uh, pronouncing it right. Prosopolepsia means respect of persons, especially their outward appearance or their outward circumstances. See, God doesn't look at what man looks at. You know, man looks at the outward appearance or the outward circumstances of people, the accent, their look, their nationality. Are they rich? Are they poor? That's what man looks at, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart of man. And you see, God himself is not a respecter of man. You see, the Bible says God demonstrated his own love for us in this, yet we were sinners. Christ died for us. He died for you and I, for all people. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God's heart is for all people. Did you know that Christianity is not a white religion? <laughs> it is not a white religion. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, my mom she, I love her, don't, don't get me wrong, I, you know, I love her so much, but she's not a Christian, she's not a follower of Jesus, and that's what she used to say to me, you know, Leonard, why are you following Jesus? It's, it's such a white religion. 
It is not a white religion. Christianity is an all-nations religion. Jesus died for everyone, despite their size, their reputation, their look, whatever it is. God does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Amen to that, right? See, it doesn't mean that we throw um, away healthy judgment. Of course, God wants us to realize a person's character. You see, God has commanded us to judge a person's character. Why? Because character lasts forever. Character is the unseen. It's the conviction that we carry. It's the values that we hold when people are not watching. It's the way that we make decisions in life. It's the, you know, the character is what holds us up. The it's the character what is what that defines us. It's not the outward appearance because why? Because the outward appearance is only temporary. It's not going to last forever. That car that you're driving one day, it's not going to last forever. It's going to be gone one day. That house that you have is not going to last forever. Not that anything is wrong with having a big house or the most expensive car like a Maserati or something. But hey, that's gonna, it's not going to last forever. What lasts is our relationship of God. What lasts is who we are in Christ. It's our character that, that lasts forever. And so God is not against us, you know, having healthy judgment, but of course he wants us to judge people's character. Hence why the Bible says uh, bad company corrupts good character. And so God wants to work in our character. And, and, and that is why God hates um, sorry, that's pretty strong, that word, but God opposes partiality because it judges with an evil uh, motive against someone's outward appearance or the outward circumstances in life. <clears throat> you know, when we look at people, sometimes we look at them with this rate scale. You know, it's a rate scale from, from, from zero to ten, and um, 10 is that, you know, we favor people. Yeah, you know, I think that person's really important. Uh, he's very special. Or he or she's very special. Or maybe they're a one. Oh, I'm pretty upset about that person because he's just, I don't even want to be around that person. He really bothers me. He's so annoying, right? So it's kind of like this, like when we look at people. It's like when we look at, uh, example, when I look at Pastor Taolu and Rowena, hmm, how, what should I rate them as? Oh, Okay, they're pastors, yeah, because they're pastors, I'll rate them as 10 out of 10, yeah. So when I look at Finau, hey, Finau, the guy that stands up there doing the worship with his guitar, oh, well, he's a student. Um, you know, sometimes students are quite annoying in life, eh, you know, even though I work with him on campus, I'll, I'll, I'll rate him as 5 out of 10, yeah, 5 out of 10 is for Finau. And uh, who else can I look at? Oh, okay, I'll look at, well, Tyler, you know. Tyler, she's, she's, she's got an accent sometimes. Sometimes she sounds, sounds a little bit like an islander, but um, I'll just rate her as, uh, I'll rate you as 7 out of 10. Yeah, you know, that's, that's how I rate you. Yeah. But you see, that's not with God. God never rates us like that. God rates us with 10 out of 10 all the time when he looks at us. When he looks at our next door neighbor, he sees our next-door neighbor as 10 out of 10. Yeah, sometimes I rate my neighbor as like maybe 2 out of 10. But, but he sees our neighbor as 10 out of 10. He sees our boss at work as 10 out of 10. He sees our siblings as 10 out of 10. That is God's heart. He looks at the character of man. He looks at who we are, and he judges us from our character, right? 
See, the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at who we are, not what we do. Who we are will define what we do, not the other way around. It's so important for us as a church that how we treat our brothers and sisters in our church. Because before we can go and reach a world and proclaim the gospel of Christ, we ourselves have to show no partiality in the church. Church, my encouragement this morning is, how are we exemplifying God's love and acceptance towards, you know, within our church? Do we judge each other by our accent or how we look? You know, sometimes I get judged by my age, you know, being, uh, I look like an 18-year-old or something, eh? But actually, I'm more than, I'm like 33 years old now. Had my birthday uh, not long ago. Um, you know, or sometimes I, get, I might get judged as a ninja as well, you know. People have been calling me a ninja as well. So, you know, as I'm all good with that, I forgive, uh, you know, who we know. No, just kidding. Anyways, um, the Bible says this. The Bible says in James 2, uh, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, which is talking about in, in our church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. You see, I believe in this verse here, it's not talking about necessarily like, rich people coming into the church or poor people, I believe it's talking hypothetically about that, how we treat certain people with the right attitude. Um, you know, did you know that we can also treat uh, rich people with content as well and treat them and despising them? You know, did you know we can favor poor people and actually look down at rich people? Did you know that? So I don't believe the scripture's talking specifically about like the poor and the rich, I reckon it's talking more specifically about our attitude and how we approach certain people. I want to share a couple of examples of real-life stories of people that you're probably aware of or may know. And um, this is some examples here of what God looks at. God looks at the heart of man. And these are some inspiring stories. And I want to just, um, I think there's a next slide there, Sonia, if you can change. Yep. So, who recognizes this lady here? Yeah, some of you guys probably know her. I'm just gonna play a video, and uh, and then I'll sh and I'll share a bit more. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay. I dreamed a dream in time gone by. <laughs> Did you? Did you? No. I dream of love never die. Awesome. Wow, that's so inspirational. See, you can't even judge a book by its cover, right? <laughs> I mean, um, let me read this out to you about who. This is Susan Magdalene Boyle, and uh, she's a Scottish singer who came to international attention when she appeared as a contestant on TV, on the TV program Britain's Got Talent, and she sang a song, I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables. Her first album, I Dreamed a Dream, was released in November 2009 and became the UK's best-selling debut album of all time, beating the previous record held by Spirit uh, by Leona Lewis. I Dreamed a Dream set a record for biggest first-week sales by debut album, according to 
the official chart company in the United Kingdom, topping the Billboard 200 for six weeks. It was, a sec- the, the, it was the second best-selling album of 2009 in the U.S. Wow. Um, that's, that's awesome. That's inspiring. Um, I wanted to um, share the second person, uh, if you can go to the next slide. So look at this guy. Does anyone know who this guy is? He has no arms, no legs. His name's Nick Vujicic. I uh, sometimes pronounce it Vujicic, but actually it's not pronounced that. It's Vujicic. Um, and I've got a quote from him, and uh, this is what he says. He says, if just one person, if just one more person finds eternal life in Jesus Christ, it is worth it. You can help me spread this message today. Do you know that Nick is, he is a powerful evangelist who has preached the gospel all over the world, proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And, um, you know, I heard that he went to the Middle East and he went and proclaimed the gospel there. And especially when you preach the gospel in the Middle East, you're going to get persecuted for that. You're going to actually get killed for that. But he was up there preaching to the crowd and all the, all the uh, Muslim people were looking at him and they were just like, oh, you know, he has no arms, no legs. What can he do? You know, but he preached the good news. He shared the gospel and it sowed a seed of faith. And um, I'm going to read a, his testimony here, and I, and I got this from his website, and this is his biography here, and this is what he shares. This is his story, Nick. It says, without any medical explanation or warning, Nick was born in 1982 in Melbourne, Australia, without arms and legs. Three sonograms failed to reveal complications, and yet the Vujicic, uh family was destined to cope with both the challenge and blessing of raising a son who refused to allow his physical condition to limit his lifestyle. The early days were difficult. Throughout the, his childhood, Nick not only dealt with typical early, uh, sorry, typical challenges of school and adolescence, but he also struggled with depression and loneliness. Nick constantly wondered why he was different than all the other kids. He questioned the purpose of life or if he even had a purpose. According to Nick, the victory over his struggles as well as his strength and passion for life today can be credited to his faith in God. His family, friends, and the many people he has encountered along the journey have inspired him to carry on as well. Since his first speaking engagement at age 19, Nick has traveled around the world sharing his story with millions, sometimes in stadiums filled to capacity speaking to a range of diverse groups such as students, teachers, young people, business and professionals in church congregations of all sizes. Today, this dynamic young evangelist has accomplished more than most people achieve in his lifetime. He's an author, he's a musician, he's an actor, and his hobbies include most, um, sorry, fishing, painting, and swimming. In 2007, Nick made the long journey from Australia to Southern California, where he is the president of the international nonprofit ministry Life Without Limbs, which was established in 2005. Nick says, if God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then he will certainly use any willing heart. Nick's latest foray into radio will expand his platform for inviting men and women all around the world to embrace the liberating hope and message of Jesus Christ. Wow, praise God to that, man. Uh, third person I want to share with you, and if you look at this guy, he probably looks like my wife's dad. Nah, sad. Um, <laughs> sorry, honey, I just want to embarrass you in front of everyone. See, he just looks like a normal China man, right? He's not a ninja, okay, but uh, he's a China man. But 
hey, at first, you know, he looks like just a normal man, but does anyone know who he is? Yeah? That's right. Um, this is Jack Ma. Uh, Jack Ma is known professionally, um, you know, he's a Chinese business uh, magnate, investor, and philanthropist. He's the co-founder and executive chairman of Alibaba Group, uh, a multi-international technolo uh, technology conglomerate as of March 2018, he is one of China's richest men, and guess what net worth he's worth? US dollars, $42.7 billion. As well as one of the wealthiest people in the world and actually one of the most, uh, one of the uh, valued, most valued people in the world as well. Why? Because he's inspirational in, in his upbringing. And if you actually know what his upbringing is, you will be inspired about what had happened to him. You know, he didn't come from a wealthy background. He actually came from a poverty background. Uh, he didn't actually come from a, the most excellent educational background as well. And I'm, I'm going to share a couple of things that what happened to him in his upbringing. You see, he failed in primary school, uh, his examinations. Um, finally, he passed. In middle school, he failed the graduating exams three times. After high school, he failed twice in the entrance to university exams. He decided to uh, go to Harvard University, and we all know that Harvard University is one of the most prestigious universities. It's so hard to get in there. He tried 10 times and he got rejected from, from Harvard. He eventually entered Hangzhou uh, Dianzi University um, in China, and he got his bachelor's in English. You know, he just kept striving. He kept going, Jack Ma. After university, he applied for 30 jobs, and guess what? He got rejected from them. And even tried to apply for, you know, being a police officer. And guess what? He got rejected as well. And you know what they said to him? They said that you're not good enough. That's what the police said to him. And even funny, he tried to apply for a job. At the time, KFC came into China. KFC, Wicked Wings delicious wicked wings. You know, he tried to apply for a job in KFC and guess what, he got rejected. But that didn't stop him there. He kept going. He um, started, you know, he worked with a group of other men and women to start the Alibaba Express. Um, it is, he is now the richest, one of the most richest men um, here on earth and because he just kept going and um, see, I just wanted to share that because you just don't know these kind of people when you look at them um, at first glance, right? Yeah, he's not like, you know, he's not Joey's dad, so all goods. My wife's dad. <laughs> but um, anyways, um, last person I want to share is, I want to share about this person here, Cy Rogers. Who's heard of Cy Rogers? My wife's putting her hand up. Yep, she knows. <laughs> cool. So Cy Rogers is an American pastor, author, and amazing communicator. He's uh, one of the pastors of, of uh, Life Church here in Auckland. Um, he's faced partiality from many people at his, in his upbringing, and, and, and the, the way that people have shown partiality is that when they look at him, they look at him as like, you know, you look like a, a homosexual, you know, you're, you're, you're um, a feminine, you know, sort of look. And um, he was really looked down at in his upbringing, and I wanted to share his testimony here. I want to share his story here, and... Um, it says here, and again, I, you know, when I share the story, it is quite real and raw, and um, I do want to share with respect, 
you know, if you are struggling with homosexuality, you know, we're not here to judge you, but, you know, God wants to really show you who you are, you know, your identity and what he's created you for. And so um, this is his story. This is Cy Rogers' story. Um, it says, a day of rejoicing and celebration of sharing love between family and friends. At my side was my wife, the woman I loved. But special as it was, our wedding held a much deeper significance. There was a time when I would never have believed such fulfillment was possible for me. Only three years earlier, I was lost in pursuit of my identity, desperately seeking love and acceptance. I was transsexual, or at least that's what my psychiatrist called it. Although physically a man, I felt trapped in the wrong body. I was obsessed with the desire to change my outward gender and conform my body to what I believed I really was. Both mentally and emotionally, I convinced myself and worked hard to convince others that sex change surgery was necessary for me if I was ever to lead a fulfilled life. The first half of my life was an emotional concentration camp. My alcoholic mother was killed in a car wreck when I was four. Prior to that, I was sexually molested by a family friend. After my mom's death, I was separated from my father for a year. I lived in an emotional vacuum. My identity and security as a male was left unaffirmed and unnourished. Later in school, I was routinely ridiculed, rejected, and physically abused due to due to the effeminate mannerisms. Even though I tried to conform to the norm, I was continually labeled a homosexual and a failure as a man. It's no wonder I had problems. As a teenager, I had not yet identified myself as a homosexual, yet I was certainly aware of my attractions to the same sex, and I felt fear and shame. A few years later, when eventually involving myself in the gay scene, I felt such a sense of relief. I felt accepted and understood. At last, I had a place to belong. It was great for a while. Soon I was living in the fast lane and always surrounding myself with others who would affirm and reinforce the gay life. I was eventually stationed in Hawaii. There, I totally pursued darkness, immersing myself in Honolulu's gay scene. Many homosexuals are mature and responsible, but I like many others, was not. I got involved in minor prostitution, drug abuse, and the sometimes dangerous life of the street. But I also began to grow weary of the gay lifestyle I was involved in. Behind the facade of acceptance and the promise of love, I saw many unhappy, cynical, and desperate people. They were all searching for that elusive, perfect match that would fulfill them. Couples who claimed to be in love were often objects of envy and doubt. How long will it last this time? Could this be all there is to life? I asked myself. Most of my gay friends said we were born gay. We couldn't change. Some even believed God had created them to be homosexual. I wasn't really interested in God at the time, but I did like the idea of a religion that approved of my sexuality. Up to this point, religious people, though often sincere, seemed only to offer me a message of condemnation. I thought that God loved heterosexuals. Eventually, my two gay friends became the first male couple to be married in the state of Hawaii. I was one of the best men at their wedding. In the spring of 1977, I completed my tour of active military duty and returned uh, to my hometown. A few months later, I received a letter from my gay friends 
the, that they turned away from homosexuality and that identity. They would now are Christians, and they said the teachings of the gay church were not true, but that I could find the truth for myself in the Bible. They hoped I would understand and, and close by saying they were praying for me. I had never heard anything like this before. What traitors, I thought. My journey out of the gay life first began with my attempt of securing male love by becoming a woman through a sex change. Though I did not get around to ever having the surgery, I was on hormone uh, therapy and lived as a woman for about a year and a half. I'm almost finished with his testimony. So it says here, yet even then I realized that surgery couldn't really solve my problems and wouldn't secure love for me, realizing that I hadn't managed my life very well on my own. I finally began sincerely seeking after God. I turned to the Bible, knowing I'd find the answer there. And this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 1, 18 to 20. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though our sins, sorry, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And this is what Sai says. He says, as I read the scripture, I broke bitterness, guilt, and shame for the loss of years my life poured out as I wept at the foot of my bed. I admitted my failure and guilt before God as I cried out to him. God, I cannot change what I am, but I am willing to be changed. I know you have the power. Make me the man you are. Make me the man you want me to be. To be pleasing to God, to be loved and not rejected by him. That all I wanted as I prayed my life into his hands, trusting him, the old man died and the new me was born. What had happened? I wasn't sure, but I felt good, peaceful, clean, forgiven, and, con and confident that God would be with me now to help me begin living a decidedly different life. And listen to this last point that he shares. It's so powerful. It says, he says here, it was my reignited faith in God that led me down a new path I once thought impossible for me. It wasn't that I was trying to stop being gay. I didn't know how or if it was possible. I was, however, willing to stop living my life on my terms. Instead, I yielded to God on His terms. You see, God wants us to live in His terms of showing no partiality. Partiality is sin in God's eyes because it looks down on other people it makes people feel inferior and distant. The Bible says that, you know, James said to, to the Jewish churches at the time, he says, why are you looking at people with this evil thought, you know? Looking at people with distinctions, meaning that you look at people indifferently, like they're, they're, not, they're worth less, so less, lesser than zero, really, on that rating scale. That's why God is against and opposed of partiality. And, and I have three points that I want to finish off here. Um, number one, God. See, God himself is not partial. He is not a respecter of man. 
He doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. And number two, identity. If we would know who we are in Christ, if you knew the love of God, if you knew who you are in Christ, you wouldn't compare yourself with other people and you wouldn't look down at other people. That's why it's so important to know who we are in Christ, to look at the word of God, to believe his word, to believe his truth, and not what the world says, and not to conform what the world is conforming to. You know, the world is the pride of life. It's the, it's the selfishness. It's the, it's the lust of the flesh, things that will not last forever. And God doesn't want us to conform to the world. You see, the people in James's time were conforming to the world because they were getting persecuted. They were getting mocked by their friends. They were getting mocked by their peers. And it caused them to conform because they didn't want to look like fools. Hey, welcome to the club. We're followers of Jesus. Who cares what people think? Do you want to live like the world or do you want to live like Christ? Do you want to follow the patterns of the world or do you want to follow Christ? It is a wise decision to follow Christ and to live like him and not to follow the world. That is why partiality, that is why God is against partiality. And if you know who you are in Christ, you, do, you will not need to conform to partiality. My third point. How do we respond to this? We respond like Jesus. You know, some of us have experienced partiality. Maybe you have experienced it just like Cy Rogers uh, or, or some of the other examples that I've um, shown you through, the, um, through my, um, my sermon. Maybe you've experienced partiality. Maybe someone has mocked you or, or looked down at you and, and, and made you feel insignificant. How do we respond? Church, how can we rise up? As in, to live God's standard and respond like Jesus. Um, the Bible says in James 2, I'm just ending with the last scripture on here, it says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to become rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You see, remember I talked about that scale, how we look at certain people. And, um, you know, God always sees us as 10 out of 10. But, you know, Jesus became a 1 out of 10 for us, you know, when he went and um, suffered and bled and died on the cross. I mean, I believe it was more than... It was less than one out of ten, actually. I mean, the Bible was clear. It said that he was so disfigured to the point he didn't even look like a human being. You know, Jesus died in our place. Uh, he rose from the dead so that we can be set free, so that we can uh, know him, so that we can have a relationship with him. At the same time, he's teaching us something. He's showing us that, hey, we've got to rise up we've got to be uh beyond you know like what the world is teaching we've got to live like christ we've got to really show god's love you know i believe if we would apply this word in our lives i believe there will be people coming in this room who are far from jesus who don't know jesus my prayer for us as a church is that we would show no partiality because God is not a partial God himself, that we would reflect him, we would reflect his character, so that 
people who are struggling with homosexuality, people who are maybe are poor, or maybe people who are rich, or maybe who, people who are middle class, or maybe people who just look different to us can come here because God wants to save the entire world. Because life is short and eternity is forever. And if we, you know, if we die and God is not the center of our lives, if God is, if we're not right with God, we will perish in an eternal place called hell. And God doesn't want anyone to go there. He desires everyone to be in heaven with Him, to be in right relationship with Him. Can we just bow our heads as I pray?